Good morning, Bay. Everybody doing good? Yes, about Mobile, Foley, everybody's good there, right? Yeah, let's, uh, let's just give Mobile and Foley a big shout out. Can we do that? Can we give them a big hand clap? Yeah. I want to remind you and ask you to uh, keep in prayer. We have a mission team in Thailand this week, and they're there with Chuck and Sherry Quinley, so they, they may be streaming with us right now. And if they are, it's late and they're tired, but uh, thanks for being with us. But keep them in your prayers uh, as they're there. Also, I want to remind you of the Merry Christmas Gulf Coast. If you're not familiar with this, you can check it out on our line online. And we've been doing this for about 12 years and giving away bicycles for Christmas. We moved it in front of Christmas because we're getting prepared to move into the new facility in Malvis. So check that out. We want you to be part of that. And some of you who are in... The business world, you have businesses, you work for someone, approach businesses and asking them to help sponsor bicycles also. Uh, we're going to be doing, again, 3,000 bikes, and you get to put them together and give them away. It's a wonderful time. So go ahead and make those commitments online for your bikes. Even if you have to wait till Christmas to pay for them, it's okay. It's $35 a bike. Also, I just want to remind you, and I want to, first I want to thank you for your faithfulness and tithing, but I want to remind you, if you're a visitor today and you probably have thought about, you haven't said anything, but maybe you've thought about, you know, they don't pass an offering plate or a bag here. Uh, we haven't done that in eight years. We believe that giving is an act of worship and that uh, that is between you and the Lord and that if you bring his tithe to the storehouse, that's between you and him. And so we do that. We have offering boxes all throughout our commons and our campuses and also about 50% of our giving is online now. So we encourage you to do that. So what, what I just did, if you know, you're thinking you're coming, you're saying, well, you know, I, I can't tithe. They don't pass a bag. I just took all that away for you. So now, now you know how it works, okay? So see how I slipped that right in? All right, yeah, okay. All right, well, we're in the fourth part of a series, The Grace of God. Uh, this weekend, this message is entitled Guarantees of Grace. And if you have your Bible or your device, you can turn to Hebrews 6. And just stay in Hebrews because we'll go to chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. And we'll, we'll bounce all over right there real close where you can follow along. Uh, this weekend we're going to look at two unchangeable guarantees about grace. And I've got to ask you a question before I start. Is it okay if I use a lot of scripture in a sermon? Yes. Okay, just want to make sure. And I don't want you going to sleep. Uh, uh, I'm threatening to have cameras up here. And when people go to sleep while I'm preaching, we're just going to put your picture there while you're sleeping. Um, had a few people sleeping last night, and so I figured the way to stop that is just we'll put you on the screen. So if you just burst out laughing while I'm preaching, I know that somebody's on the screen. Okay, so anyway. Okay. I want to talk about two unchangeable truths, and, and these truths are strong encouragements for us. Actually, the Bible says, we'll read it in a minute, it says they're an anchor to your soul. So if you look at going through a difficult time, and, you know, we, we've been through difficult times. Our, our nation is going through a difficult time. Our world is going through a difficult time. And when, when you look at terror and conflict and war, you look at economy, uh, finances, relationships, even health. So many people, they get a bad report on their health. But what the Bible tells us is that there are two truths about grace that are guaranteed unchangeable, and if we understand these, that they will, they will anchor our soul. They'll anchor our soul. Our soul is our mind and, and our will and our emotions. So 
Here's what happens. When you go through a difficult time, the battle begins in your mind. Your mind is part of your emotions. And so here's what happens. If we're not anchored to these two unchangeable truths, then our life can be tossed and moved and, and, and slammed around with, with, with this storm of life, if you will. And what happens is we have a hard time making right decisions because our emotions are so unstable. They're all over the place. So, you know, if we don't understand these two truths about grace, then it shakes us it, it, and, and we're almost defeated. Here's the question. When difficult times come, will your soul be anchored and will it hold? Do you know these two truths? So I want to show them to you. I'm going to go to Hebrews 6 and in verse 13, I, I'm, I'm going to start there. And uh, if you have missed any of these messages in this series, I really want you to go online and listen because they're interlocking. It's not just a path laid out. They're, they're building blocks and they interlock. And so we, we go back to the one, the last one, two weeks ago, do you believe and, and, and connect it. So uh, if you missed it, go back and, and, and pick it up. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, we talked about Abraham two weeks ago, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I'll multiply you. And so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for, of, for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. In other words, if you swear by someone greater, it will solve the dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability, that means unchangeableness, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. God took an oath. And that by two immutable things, two things that are unchangeable, in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation, that word means courage or encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, the soul's the mind, the will, and the emotion, be sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, notice those three words, high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The last message on grace was entitled, Do You Believe? Here's what we learned. God came to Abraham. Abraham is, is, a, is a heathen in a nation that doesn't know God. His dad's an idolater, and he makes idolatry and makes idols. And I mean, he, he doesn't even know God. He comes to Abraham, and he says, Hey, listen, given your religious upbringing and, and given that you really don't know anything about me, I'm coming to tell you something, and it's going to be hard for you to believe this, but I didn't come to judge you or condemn you. I came to bless you. And Abraham believed, and then God put righteousness into his account. Two weeks ago, I had a whiteboard. I used the whiteboard, and I had three columns of accounts, and, and I illustrated that. So if you go back, you can watch it if you missed it. Now, we're in Hebrews, and it's telling us about this covenant that God made with Abraham. And it gives us more insight. It says that God swore by himself. See, anytime men take an oath, they, they swear by someone greater than they are, so that they can end any dispute. Now, you, you probably have seen this, or maybe you've done this. You put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, and you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth will help you, God. Well, our country got this from the Bible. And, 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 and the reason is the person taking an oath is swearing by someone greater than themselves. And if I don't tell the truth, well, then God will take care of this because he, he's the judge. Here's what happened in the story. God comes to Abraham and says, I want to make an agreement with you. I want to make a covenant with you, and I want to take an oath. This is God talking. I'm going to take an oath to let you know I'm going to do this. 
So I'm going to swear to you, Abraham, and I know that when you take a note that you're supposed to swear by someone greater than you are, but there's no one greater than I am. So I'm, I'm going to swear by my own name. If that's okay with you, I'm going to take an oath and I'm going to call me into an account to make sure I enforce this oath. Would that be okay with you, Abraham? Well, would that be okay with you? If God said, I I'm going to swear by my own name for you, would that be okay? And, and, and look what he's swearing to. He's swearing to, I'm going to bless you. I I'm going to bless you. And, 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 and what? Catch this. We're in the book of Hebrews reading this thousands of years after this encounter with Abraham, and it's telling us the same way that God swore to Abraham, he's going to swear to us. So I'm going to read verse 17 again in the New American Standard. The first time I read it in the New King James, this time New American Standard, listen to it. In the same way, what way? The same way thousands of years ago God came to Abraham, but watch what's added, desiring even more even more than, than, than then to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose in the same way, but even more, the same way God said to Abraham, I just came to bless you, but even more to the heirs of the promise. So here's the question. Well, who are the heirs of the promise? Well, a lot of people think, well, that's Abraham and Abraham's natural seed. That'd be the Jewish people. Well, let, let me show you what the scripture says about that. In Romans 4:13, look at the screen for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We talked about this in the last message, the righteousness that comes by faith, not by the law. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So here's the answer to it in Galatians 3.29. If you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So who are the heirs of this promise that God's going to make? If I believe in Jesus and he's Lord of my life, I'm an heir according to the promise. That's who's going to receive the promise. So this, this is a weighty topic in Hebrews 6. This is what God says to you. He's saying to you, fast forward, 21st century. He's saying to you, I did not, I, I, regardless of your background, what you grew up, what you've been taught, I, th this may not make sense to you right up front. You may have a hard time to believe this, but listen to me. This is what God's saying to you. I did not come to judge you or condemn you. I came to bless you, and I swear to you. That's pretty strong, isn't it? God, I'm swearing to you. And he said, I'm going to confirm it with an oath. I'm, I'm going to confirm it with two things that cannot change. Oh, and oh, by the way, you know, it's impossible for me to lie, God says. That, that's what we just read in Hebrews 6. I swear to you, I, it, it, let, me, let me just paraphrase it in South Alabama talk. I didn't come to mess you up. I, I, did, I, did, I, I, did, I didn't come to hurt you. I came to bless you. I didn't come to put you in timeout. I didn't come to put chains around your hands and around your feet. I came to bless you and your family. So the question then is, what are these two unchangeable truths? Now, so those two truths are in Hebrews chapter 7 through 10, and I'm going to highlight a few verses throughout there to show you, but let me go ahead and give you the first one. Here's the first unchangeable truth. Jesus is our high priest forever. Jesus is our high priest forever. We read the introduction to that in chapter 6, but look at chapter 7, verse 17, for he testifies you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You, you, you drop down to verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. This is the first unchangeable truth about grace. Jesus is our high priest. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to show you two verses. The next two verses are probably in the top three most important verses in the entire Bible. So you may want to mark them if you don't already have them marked. 
But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read them to you as if I were in children's church, okay? I was a children's pastor for a long time. So, boys and girls, I want you to respond. There's no trick to this. Nobody's going to get embarrassed. But I just want you to respond because I want to make sure these two verses are etched in your mind. So, here we go. Verse 11, chapter 10 of Hebrews. And every priest, how many priests? Stands. Do they stand or sit? Ministering daily. How, how often do they minister? And offering repeatedly. How, how do they offer these sacrifices? The same sacrifices. So is it the same or is it a different one? Same. Which can never, is it never or sometimes or always? Never take away sins. So watch. They, let me read it. Every priest stands daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. Here's what that produces in people. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Because you remember there, they were in the, in the Old, Test, Old, Old Covenant, they're, they're covered. They're not washed away. Verse 12, watch this. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The reason he sat down, our high priest, is because it's completed. It's done. It's finished. And he remains our high priest forever. This is an immutable truth with God. It's an unchangeable truth. Jesus is by faith, not the righteousness of the law, but Jesus is by the righteousness of faith, by grace. He's our high priest forever. And when what, what we read in Hebrews 7 says these priests were prevented by death from continuing. Here's what they meant. You had priest and priest and priest, but they live a certain age, they die. Then another priest, and he'd live and he'd die. They, they, they're all dying off, okay? But this new priest, we, we only have to have one because he lives forever. And he doesn't need to continue to offer the same sacrifice repeatedly because he offered one sacrifice. And the reason he only offered one is because the sacrifice he offered was perfect. And after he offered the sacrifice, he sat down. He's at the right hand of the Father. He didn't need to stand anymore. He sat down at the right hand of the Father because it's completed. It's done. And now he can be an advocate for me. Now he's an intercessor for me. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. He's not having to go back and die again and offer another sacrifice and do this. It's done. It's completed. He's sitting there. So with all that said, let me flip it back to me. Let me use this, me as an example and you can plug yourself in. All those sins I did be before I got saved, are, are, are they washed away by the blood of the Lamb? What about all the sins I did after I got saved? Yeah. Well, what about the sins I might do next week? I'm not planning to, but just, just in case. Well, what about the sins I might do next week? Are they? Yes. Because he offered one sacrifice. Listen, it's done. My sins are paid for. So let's just say I have a good week. I don't yell at the kids. I don't yell at my wife, and, and, and I didn't kick the cat. Is he still my high priest? Yes. Yeah. What if I have a bad week? I'm yelling at the kids, I'm yelling at my wife, and I kill the cat. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten all kinds of comments. Uh, some people, they just, this is all they get out of the sermons, the cat, the cat, okay? I don't have a cat. It's just an illustration, okay? So, uh, they're demonic, demonic demons or something. You know, I don't know. I just said that. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. So if I had a bad week, is he, is, is he, is he still my high priest? Yes. So if I have a good week, he's my high priest. If I have a bad week, he's my high priest, right? So listen to this. Here's, what, here's how we think. We act, like when we're close to, we act like we're close to God when we do right and good, and then we act like we're not close to God when we don't. But he's always the high priest. Amen. He's always the high priest. Even if, I make, even if I have a bad week, do the bad things. I understand 
Listen, we need to deal with sin. We confess our sins. We don't need to walk in our sins. Grace makes you perfect, but not in your performance, but in your position. And I'm not saying sinless perfection, but it makes you perfect in your position before God. So how else could you enter the holy place and enter into a relationship with God? Because the first message in the series, God won't live in a dirty house. So unless sin is washed away, and if you've got sin, it's not washed away, you can't come into the presence of a holy God. But because of the blood of Jesus, positionally, I'm perfect before God. So when I've talked in this series about maximizing grace in our lives, I'm not talking about minimizing sin. I'm not talking about whitewashing sin. I'm talking about bloodwashing sin. If our sin is not completely taken care of, we cannot have a relationship with God. Now, now listen, this is how it all started. Listen to me. This is how we, this is, and so many good questions come forth on this series. Listen, here's how it started. When God created man, he created us to be a representation of him on the earth. When man sinned, the thing in us that gave us the ability to represent him was taken out. It's taken out. And, and so we can't represent him in the natural now. He, 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 he's taken out because sin came in. And since sin came in, there's something wrong with our core. There, there, there's, there's sin. See, sin is much more a problem concerning who we are than what we did. Because not only in the presence, I'm not in the presence of God, it, it, his presence is not in me, but the spirit of life is not in me. When I'm born, the spirit man is dead. The spirit of life is not in me. The spirit of death is in me. I'm, I'm dead on the inside without Christ. Uh, my spirit man's dead. It's dormant. Jesus didn't die on the cross because your behavioral sins totaled up to a certain number of sins, and oh, now you, you, you get the death penalty. No, Jesus died on the cross because death was in you. When you were born in this natural world, death came in because of the fall of man. That sin nature, it's there. It's in you. He took that death on himself. So he didn't just die for what you've done, all the bad things. He, did, he died for, because of who you are. Because when the, when the, see, if the spirit of God, his presence isn't in you, the spirit of death is in you. But when you come alive in Christ, now the spirit of God is in you. Now you're a new creation. Your soul's the same, but your spirit man is alive. I mean, I, I, are, are you getting this? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because here's how we see sin. We see sin as a behavioral issue. So we think, okay, well, if I can stop this, stop this, stop this, stop this, God will love me. He'll be my high priest. If I don't do this, don't do this, don't do this this week. So it's all this list, what we do, what we think, how we feel. And then if we do that and we think like that, we're defining sin at the level of behavior. Sin is not just a behavioral issue. You, see, you can't behave your way out of sin. You, you can't change your actions enough to be free from sin because your action is not what has you in sin bondage. What has you in sin by? You were born into this sin nature. So what was God's solution? What did God do? His solution is Jesus' death and resurrection. So watch, death, he died, he took death. What does that mean? That means he can forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. Not cover my sins like the Old Testament, but cleanse me. And, the, and God resurrected Jesus from the dead, and that means he gives us power over sin. 
so that sin doesn't control me anymore. Sin is not dominant. I'm not, there's not the spirit of death inside of me. There's the spirit of life. There's the spirit of God now. So amazing grace is amazing because God washes away all my sins, but he puts his spirit of life back into me, and now I'm not empty. I'm a new creation. I'm alive. Is anybody feeling good about this besides me? But here's what we do. L listen, here's what we do. When, if, we, if we're checking off behavioral issues and trying to get them right and get them right, we, 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 we get to the place where we, we're, we're so mad at ourselves and we're so bad that we beat ourselves up. You're a failure. You'll never get it right. You're a mistake. You can't do this right. You can't do that. We, we take guilt and condemnation and we beat ourselves down. And, 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 and here's, here's why we're trying to do it. We're trying to get even. Now, you probably never did this, but I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, there were four of us growing up, four boys in the house, and I'm the oldest. And I'll just be honest with you. Every once in a while, I'd take one of my brothers and, you know, let him have it. <laughs> Sorry, but, I, you know, I did. And here's what he would do sometimes. He would be hurt, and he'd start crying, and he's going to go find Daddy. And here's what I did. I know you never did this. I would step in front and say, wait, 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 wait. No, no, hit me, hit me back. Here's the ball bat. Here, you, I hit you with the ball bat. Now you hit me back with a ball bat. I'm trying to get even, okay, because I know he's going to go to dad, and I'm trying to get even. The only way we are even with Jesus is because Jesus took the beating for me. I don't need to beat myself up and press myself down and condemn myself. I, 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 I can't. No, you're not perfect. You will never be perfect until you get to heaven. But he, he, he took the beating. We don't have to. So that first unchangeable, is high, he's our high priest forever. Here's the second one. He, Jesus is our mediator of the new covenant forever. He's the mediator of the new covenant forever. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now, many of you have heard that verse. You've read that verse. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe the new covenant is a better covenant? Talk to me. Raise your hand or something. Yeah, okay. Do you believe it has better promises? Yes. Can you list the promises? Uh-oh. <laughs> See, we say, it's, we, we say we're in a new covenant, and it's better. But what does that mean? Well, I want to show you two reasons. Just There's a lot, but the two most important reasons the new covenant is better. Watch. Watch how it ties back into the high priest part. The first reason is the new covenant is better is because it can cleanse your conscience. Old Testament covenant cannot cleanse your conscience. That's, that's why you're beating yourself up. Your conscience isn't cleansed. In the Old Testament, it was covered, it was covered by the blood. They had to do it over and over and over again. Not, not, new, not new covenant. Hebrews 9, 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect, the word is complete, in regard to the conscience. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, those are sacrifices under the old covenant, sprinkling the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant. Why? Because our conscience is cleansed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not, and not the very image of the things can never, the law can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. 
It can never make you perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would not have had no more consciousness of sins. In other words, the law could have made their conscience clean, but they would not have, if, if it had, it, they wouldn't have to keep offering sacrifices. But the law can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. He had to do it one time, which means he can cleanse your conscience. Here's why that's so important. Listen, if something doesn't take away the guilt and the shame, then we serve God through dead works. Let me show you what that means. A generic definition of good works is any work not initiated by God. But in Hebrews, the more specific definition of dead works is a dead work is a work to try and gain God's approval. So, in other words, you're trying to get in good with God, get his approval. You get God's approval by grace through faith. Now, I want to talk about the conscious, your conscience and the, the consciousness of your sins. And, and what I'm going to say, I'm going to make a statement, and it may, may razzle you just a little bit, so don't get up and leave until, I've, until I qualify it, okay? So, so listen to me. I've heard this statement in, in the pulpit. I grew up in church. I've heard it from the pulpit many, many times. I've heard the statements like this. Well, the problem with the church is we, we're not sin conscious enough. I disagree with that. I, I think the problem with the church is we're too sin conscious. If Jesus has cleansed my sins, instead of being sin conscious, what about being grace conscious? In other words, being Jesus conscious instead of always thinking about my failures and beating myself up and being under guilt and condemnation, what about thinking about his successes and his successes through me, what he's done for me? You realize that you become whatever you focus on. Whatever, whatever you become like whatever you look at, whatever you're focusing on. I'll give you this illustration, and you can try it with your kids and see how it works parent they have a birthday party for their kid okay and, and so they're going to do this experiment with all the kids so the dad tells their kids what they're going to do so here comes all the kids they got a pool they're around the pool they got the cake and the ice cream and so the dad says to all the kids hey listen we're gonna have a great time eat all the cake you want ice cream swim have a great time it, we're here to celebrate my son's birthday it's wonderful we're gonna have a great time but whatever you do do not spit in this flower bed right here by the back door the dad goes in the house, sits down behind the curtains, pulls the curtains up, and nobody can see him. And guess what? He said not only did every child spit in the flower bed once, but most twice and three times. <laughs> and even his two kids that were in on the experiment spat in the flower bed. <laughs> why? Listen, why? He made them conscious of it. That's what the law does. Don't, don't, you can't, you can't, don't do this, don't do that. I'm not saying the law is bad because the Bible, the Bible says the law is not bad in Romans. But if we focus on it, see, we, what I'm saying is we need to focus on the grace of God. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on walking with God, loving God, serving God, rather than don't, 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 don't. Let, let me help you. Let's say it this way. Maybe you need to focus on the cake and the ice cream and the swimming and quit focusing on the flower bed. Here's the second reason the new covenant's better. It's because it's based on faith, not works. God compares it to the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant, which is based on faith, not works. He had to believe righteousness is put into his account. When the Bible talks about the old covenant, it's not talking about the Abrahamic covenant. The old covenant is not the Abrahamic covenant. The old covenant is the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is compared to the new covenant because it's based on faith and works. Both are. But the Mosaic Covenant is based on works, law. Not, not the New Covenant, 
Not the Abrahamic, it's based on faith, not works. The Mosaic covenant is based on the law, works. And Hebrews tells us that has passed away. So I want, I want, to, I want to illustrate something to you, and I, and I really hope you can get this, okay? And so I'll, I'll use myself again, but first I want to use the children of Israel. Let's take the old covenant, let's go back to the Old Testament, and let's, God comes to the children of Israel, there are three million of them, and he comes to them and he says, hey, I want to make a covenant with you. Now, a covenant is where one person does one part and another person does another part and they come in an agreement on what they're going to achieve. So God says to the children of Israel, here's my part. I'm going to bless you, protect you, love you, provide for you. I'm going, to, I, I'm going to be your God. Everything you need, I'll provide. I will be your God. You don't need a false God. You've got the living God. I'll be your true God. And here's what he, he, he said. Now, here's your part, children of Israel. You have to keep the law. Every part of the law. Uh, do everything in the law. And, and listen, God wrote chapters on the law. You can go in the book of Leviticus, and if you've got a scab on your skin, there's a whole chapter to tell you what to do about that scab. You've got to do all of the law, every detail, 600-something laws. You've got to know them inside and out, and you've got to do them. To be, you've got to be perfect in them. And guess what the three million children of Israel said? Okay. Yeah, we, we laugh, but we did the same thing. They broke it the first day. They broke the law the first day. So, see, some of us have been believers for five years, 20 years, whatever, and we're, trying, we're still trying to do it. We're trying to be perfect. If you're trying to be perfect, that's old covenant. That's old covenant. Here's the new covenant. I'm going to use me as an example. God comes to me personally, and here's what he says. Jerry, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make an agreement with you. And God says, here's my part. I'm going to love you, protect you, bless you, provide for you. I will be your God. And Jerry, here's your part. Jesus, would, would you come here, son? Come here. Uh, son, this is Jerry, and I want to make a covenant with him. But I was wondering if you could do his part. Would you go to the earth, be a man, live a perfect life, keep all the law, never break the law? Would you live for him. But Jesus, before you say anything, I got to tell you something. Jerry is going to break the law. And the penalty for breaking the law is death. So son, could, could you die for him also? And Jesus said, I'll do it. Then the father turns to me and he says, Jerry, do you believe that? Do you believe that if he does this, that that will be enough? Will you put your trust in the fact that not only did he die for you, and, and we put our trust in that, but he also lived for you. He lived a perfect life on the earth because you can never live a perfect life on the earth. Will you put your trust in him? And as a young teenager, I said, I'll do it. But here's the problem that all of us face at one time or another. Many years later, I have to ask myself, am I still trusting what Jesus did for me was enough? Or am I trying to do good works to make sure I got a little extra favor? Do, do I believe what he did was enough? See, it's so easy to go back into works. And, 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 and not saying we should not do good works. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me saying that. That's not what I'm saying. We should serve. We should do good works. But when we try to do good works to get God's approval, it's dead works. And most of the time, we haven't received the unchangeable truth of grace in our hearts. 
So our conscience has, has this film over it. Our conscience isn't clean. Maybe it's covered, but it's not washed. Our conscience is there. And so we haven't received the unchangeable truths of grace in our heart. And so what we're trying to do is earn favor with God, do something special. So yeah, I'll do a little more, do a little more, do a little more. That doesn't, that doesn't work for us. It's dead. Because you see, God's complete grace and forgiveness is what cleanses our conscience. This weekend, I want you, church, to receive these two truths this weekend. Jesus is your high priest forever. He's the mediator of the new covenant. And the new covenant is based on faith, not works. It's based on you receiving <clears throat> that not only Jesus died for you, but he lived for you also. We want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Mobile, Foley, Malbus, online. I, I want to pray for you. We love you, and we, and we do this every weekend, and you don't have to be a member of this church to come for prayer. But in a moment, listen to me. I'm, I'm wrapping up. In a moment, we'll have leaders at the front of every campus. So if you need prayer for any reason, when we dismiss in a moment, you come to a leader, let them pray for you. But here's my question for you, for you, and only you can answer it. If you're going through a storm, are you anchored to grace? Do you know that you have a high priest that you can turn to, you can talk to, and he's, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you? Do, are you going through that? Do you have that? Do you understand that? And, and, and the other question is, if you're here and you're not sure if you're going to heaven, I'm surprised how many people have question marks. Well, I think so. I'm not sure. Do you know the Bible tells us that you can know that you know where you will spend eternity? Amen. It's by faith. He, he, you, you can know that. You can have eternal life. If you need to come to God or if you need to come back to God, when we dismiss, I want you to come to the front. I want us to pray for you. And I don't want you up and moving around. This is the most important part of the message. To get up right now is disruption, and, I, and the cameras are rolling, and people are moving, so don't get up and move. This is the most important part of the service. This is the most important part where people are trying to hear God, and then we get up and we walk around and we make distractions. And not only affecting this room, but other, other rooms that we have in campuses and other people online, where it's a distraction. I, here's what I'm telling you. This is the most important thing, truth, for you to grasp in your heart that he's your high priest and he's always there and that he is the mediator of the covenant. You don't have to live the perfect life. You do your best, but you don't beat yourself up and you keep your conscience clear. When your conscience is clear, listen to me, here's what happens. You're not weighted down with trying to get it all right. You enjoy life. And when you enjoy the life of God in its fullness, you are a full representation of God on the earth. Why? Because the spirit of life is in you, but if it's weighted down by guilt and condemnation, it cannot express itself in its fullness. So people can't see the fullness of God. They see the weight of guilt and condemnation that's a lie from the enemy. Amen. Are y'all getting what I'm saying? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for loving us so much. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you draw every person who has any prayer need, even the ones we've listed or even beyond that, any person has a prayer need, I pray you draw them to prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.